0: We'll be reading verses 7 through 40, or excuse me, 17 through 40. If you remember the context, the sons of Sceva, Sceva, self-proclaimed high priest of Israel, were in Ephesus. His seven sons were trying to cast out demons in the name of Paul. Who preached Jesus and were very embarrassed by a demon possessed man who recognized Paul and recognized Christ but had no idea who these people were. And once that demon possessed man overwhelmed Sceva and sent him running and embarrassed and embarrassed in shame, verse 17, this became known to all the people. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must go see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in the similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but also in Asia, and this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together in the theater, dragging them with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let them. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. So the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but with, when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is the temple keeper of the great Artemis? And of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and... There are proconsuls. Let, Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek any further, anything further, it shall be settled in regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. The People saw the power of God they began to come to Jesus for salvation. They began to burn the books of magic, of incantations, of superstition. They burned all of that. They burned our idols. A seller of these things thought his business was in jeopardy. They, he had to do something to stop it. So he caused a riot. And finally someone stepped in and appealed to law of the land and be able to was able, after several hours, to settle the crowd. Let us pray before we go any further. Father, we ask for your help and your guidance. As we look into this account this morning, it's a wonderful story. It's exciting to see what you did for the people in Ephesus and how your power overwhelmed spiritual forces and brought many people to repentance. But we also want to deal with the response of those who refuse to believe. We need your wisdom and we need your guidance. So we ask this morning that you help us as we walk through this text together. May this time this morning be fruitful. In the name of our Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. According to the Holocaust Encyclopedia, and some of you who have lived long enough may have some knowledge of this as well. Beginning of May 10th, 1933, Nazi-dominated student groups in Germany carried out public burnings of books they claimed were un-German. The book burnings took place in 34 university towns and cities, works of prominent Jewish liberal and leftist writers were up in the bonfires, ended up in the bonfires. The book burnings stood as a powerful symbol of Nazi intolerance and censorship. In the aftermath of the book burnings, the Nazi regime raided bookstores, libraries and publishers, warehouses to confiscate materials it deemed dangerous or un-German. Many people said then that that was just uncivilized and unacceptable and even barbarian. Many people today still think it's a barbarian thing, an uncivilized thing, an uneducated thing, an intolerable thing to do to burn books. Is it okay to burn books? Is it okay to just burn certain books? What about the Communist Manifesto or Das Kapital, both written by Karl Marx? What about burning them? Would that be okay? What about Charles Darwin's Origins of the Species? Would it be okay to burn that book? Second item. I'm just trying to provoke some thought here because what we've seen in our text is a book burning. Again, some of you who are my age a little older might remember this event in history. In 1966, radio station in Tyler Longview, Texas, had an interview. Maureen Cleave interviewed the late John Lennon of the Beatles. John Lennon It's quoted to have said, Christianity will glow. It will vanish and shrink. I need not argue about that. I know I'm right, and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it all that ruins it for me. This is the man who wrote Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. Nothing to live and die for. August 22nd of that same year, the radio station sponsored a record burning demonstration. And a lot of people, I remember the hubbub. My mom was so glad to see it. She did not like the Beatles, she thought they were an abomination. People all over the nation were throwing, throwing them away or burning them. And it was a practice through a lot of youth groups for several years to get just when young people came to Jesus. They would be encouraged to gather up their rock and roll albums and burn them behind the church as an act of Repentance. Is it ever an okay idea or practice to remove books or destroy ideas? I think so. I need, you need to think about this, brothers and sisters. For Christians, I think the concept is there for us to follow. The concept, the idea. Because we are not to have idols in our lives. We are not to have idols in our hearts. We need to set aside all of that for the glory and for the sake of the Lord Jesus who redeemed you. Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 3. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord your God is bringing you. All the days that you live on the earth, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under the tree, every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash, their, dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. And you shall chop down the carved images and their idols, their gods, and destroy their name out of that place. That was Old Testament instruction. I'm taking into you into a promised land. There are idols there. You are to destroy the idols. You are to get rid of them. You are to purge the land of paganism. That's God's instruction to Israel. And it is good implication for us as well that when we receive Christ as our Saviour, old things old things have passed away, all things have become new. Right? Get rid of it. What Luke recorded about what happened in ancient Ephesus was a proper response and it had a powerful impact. And we also see a pushback from the enemy. Verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus about the Jews, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. All also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And the number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them. And found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I propose to you that this was a proper response to the salvation that they had received in Christ Jesus. Forsake the old life, forsake the old idolatry, forsake the old incantations, the superstitions, the witchcraft, the sorcery, get rid of it. First proper response, fear fell upon them, we see. This word in fear, the word fell is epipysen. The emotion came upon, pressed in, embraced them. It wasn't so much a terror. It it was more like a respect, a reverence, an awe. They saw the power of God. They knew that power was real. And they could not ignore it nor neglect it as the first proper response i remember growing up as a child i grew up in that generation that got spanked sometimes it was a switch i loved my mom and dad but i feared them when they disobeyed when i disobeyed sometimes i would hope they didn't find out but when they found out I knew I was in for it. But here's the thing. I knew they still loved me. I saw a lot of grace in them and a lot of mercy in them, but I also was given a lot of discipline. First proper response was fear fell upon those people. They reverenced the Lord. They respected him. The second proper response, they burned the books. According to the numbers, if you do quick math, it's an expense equivalent to today's, today's value between 4 and $6 million. To just piled it up in the middle of the street and set fire to it. And here's this man over on the side watching. This is exciting. What's going on? They're having a party. And no, they're burning my stuff. I made this. I sold this to them. And they're burning it up? And they're not going to buy anymore? So Demetrius got all the craftsmen together, all the other merchants together, and started a riot. Verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother... Excuse me, Luke 14:26. another reference where Christ taught, If anyone comes to me and does not heed his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? while the other is yet a great far off, he sends a delegation to ask terms for peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The Lord gives a couple of examples about how you should be deciding Says, I shall come first before in all of your relationships. And he uses an example of constructing something. Whoever wants to build a tower has to measure the cost and the expense and the trouble to decide whether he can complete it. Does he have enough money? Does he have enough materials? Does he have enough labor? And then he concludes this passage. With an illustration of war. How can one king plan a battle against another king when he's outnumbered two to one? He better be planning to sue for peace before the first shot is fired. We are coming up against the king of the universe. And he, is at war with the enemy in this world, He is at war with sin itself. And we are not capable of overthrowing the Lord. And He offers us peace through His Son Jesus Christ. many of you have received it. Many of you have accepted it. Wonderful. It's time to stop fraternizing with the enemy. Get rid of the old stuff. Get rid of the old ways. Get rid of the old habits. That is your proper response. When we read our text in Luke, excuse me, in the book of Acts, that we see that there was a powerful impact. Paul thought that the church at Ephesus had become so well established. He had seen much fruit, very many conversions there. He thought he could leave it in the hands of some elders and go on. But then this riot was started. The community, because of Christian conversion, the community saw an impact. The community experienced an impact. And sometimes the impact doesn't appear in positive ways. This past week, who I was sharing with the men yesterday at breakfast, who would have thought in this day and time Under our present presidential administration, with everything in this nation and the economy and the oppression and everything just going south, that we would have seen a decision from the Supreme Court of the United States that people have been praying for for 50 years. That has an impact. And as I said a moment ago, sometimes the impact doesn't look so hot because we're seeing Mr. Chuck Schumer, we're seeing Nancy Pelosi, we're seeing, she's known as AOC, but she's not AOK. We're seeing other politicians saying, we will defy the Supreme Court. We will take it to the streets. And they've been doing it. The impact of that righteous decision is having an impact on our nation. We must not give up. We must keep praying because they're going to try and turn it around any way they can. And we need to be praying. Don't think it's settled. We need to be praying. In the, in the book, book of Acts, in the city of, of the Ephesus, Ephesus long, long ago, the conversion of Christians, their forsaking, forsaking their, their idols, forsaking their forsaking their incantations, their magical books, their, books, their mysterious arts, had an impact upon the community. And they didn't like it. They started a riot and started calling, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Artemis was the Greek goddess of the hunt. Diana was the Roman goddess of the hunt. If you've ever studied any ancient Greeks, any ancient idolatry or any ancient idol worship, they weren't perfectly equivalent. I mean, you could clearly tell the difference between a statue of the Roman Diana and a statue of the Greek Artemis. The Roman Diana looks a little more like a lady dressed to go hunting. Artemis, Artemis, the the Greek Greek goddess, looks really, really really weird. Almost perverse. In a strange strange kind of way. They've found many of her idols buried in archaeological digs. They've been able to examine them. She's got a necklace with a zodiac inscribed on it. And all along her gown, there are incantations calling spiritual forces to come help. This was clearly an idol to worship demonic forces. And there's been a lot of debate about what's, I'm just going to call it a chest plate. There's a lot of lumpy things all over it. It does not look nice. It does not look good. Some say it's how many breasts she had. Some say it's just a bunch of gourds. Some say it's something else. They don't know what it meant or what it was intended to be. But the idol made with hands they called Artemis. was just weird. But they had also constructed a temple to her. And from the 5th century before Christ to the 4th century after Christ the, the temple had been sacked and destroyed several times and this time in ephesus this one was their second rebuild this temple is one of the seven wonders of the seven wonders of the world of the ancient world 200 feet wide 400 feet long this is bigger than a football field tourists and pilgrims would come from all over the world just to see the magnificent temple and while they were there they would spend their money at Ephesus and they would buy idols and all the things that temples the tourists do it brought money into the city it became a wealthy city and Demetrius feared it was going to end the power had, of Christ had such an impact on the community The power of Christ had such an impact upon the city. The power of Christ had such an impact upon the nation. We've already read that all of the gospel, everyone in in Ephesus and Asia had heard the gospel because of Paul's ministry and the churches that he'd planted there. And we know over the last 2,000 years the power of Christ has had such an impact upon the world. We think about what kind of impact it is. We we can look at it academically, and we can look at the numbers. And, and my goodness, that's interesting. Let me try and illustrate something, just by illustration, what kind of an impact that might have been to their economy. What if the power of God's healing were truly active today? We know it's not, but in Paul's day, the apostles were able to touch people and pray for people and and heal them. What if that were active today? What if everyone who suffered from cancer could be healed in a day? Think of how many doctors and nurses and oncologists would be out of work. Think of how many hospitals would close. There are hospitals that are devoted to no one but cancer patients. And if all the cancer could be healed, could be stopped, could be cured, that's going to affect the economy. Millions of people would be out of work. Hundreds of thousands of buildings would stand empty because there would be no patients to take them to, to bring, to bring into them. The city of Ephesus Ephesus worshipped an idol, and it made them wealthy. And they were not going to lose that. So they started a riot. When the power of Christ causes people to fear him, when the mercy of Christ brings people an overwhelming sense of release, when the grace of Christ gives people an awe-inspiring feeling of gratitude, lives cannot help but change. And it's always going to have an impact. And when you bring light into a dark world, the first response from the darkness is going to try and refuse it. Irwin Orr wrote a book about revival history in America. Let me just read. This is about the 1858 revival. The began in New York, I believe. And, and it spread, spread throughout all of New England. This is the impact it had. Several towns had been purged of, he writes here, frog shops, liquor stores. They closed down. And hotels and saloons where liquors had been too freely purchased had been changed into places of prayer, with drunkards reclaimed in large numbers. In Newburyport and in other places, crime had been greatly diminished. Imagine a police station with empty jails. You'd think you were in Maybury. A voluntary society of Sons of Temperance enrolled thousands of recruits in New England. In Virginia, they staged great celebration in Richmond with multitudes taking the pledge. People stopped getting drunk. People stopped drinking. They stopped buying liquor. In Cayuga Falls, Ohio, violence was shown in, Tem- in a temperance reform for some folk equipped with an axe and hatchets battered down the doors of saloons, wrecking interiors and emptying valuable stocks of liquor into Cuyahoga's waters. Generally, agitation was much more gentle, but in conference after conference, religious denominations protested against intoxicating liquor's or the sale of that to minors. When the power of Christ causes people to fear him, when the mercy of Christ brings people to an awe-inspiring an overwhelming sense of release, when the grace of Christ gives people an awe-inspiring feeling of gratitude, lives cannot help but change. Has the gospel of grace gripped any of us the same way? We profess to know him, to believe him, to trust him, and he is teaching us to trust him more every day. But what has been our response? Has it been proper? Has it been proper enough? Have we forsaken our old ways or do we still visit them from time to time? Has there been any evidence of an impact on the lives around us, within our family, within our neighborhood, our community, the places where we work? What kind of impact has your life had? Has there been any pushback from the enemy? One sure thing, excuse me, one sure thing that we can be certain of. If we are on the right path with our Lord Jesus, is that the enemy is attacking us? If he is leaving us alone, then perhaps our response has not been strong enough. In our text in the book of Acts, the people of Ephesus were enraged and they caused a riot. Great is Artemis of Ephesians. They kept shouting out over and over and over in one mob voice. There will always be resistance from the enemy. As I've already mentioned about the recent decision from the Supreme Court, we're seeing resistance from the enemy. And it's not political, this is spiritual warfare. Following that decision, we've seen riots already, we've seen threats, and we've seen promises, and we've seen more riots. And we'll see promises of more riots. A lot of people are angry, there are a lot of people unhappy, they are ready to declare war and some of the things I've read online they are calling for civil war over this decision but our Lord has said you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods and on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree When Christianity is faithful to God, you get a proper response. And God's blessing upon his people produces a powerful impact. First with your family, then your neighborhood, then your fellow workers. They all notice something changed in daddy. Mama's different. You know what, honey? My annoying neighbor who said something very nice to me just now when I was outside. What's changed about him? People notice. And even when a church experiences revival, communities notice. And you've got to understand the devil's going to fight back. Is it ever a good thing to back down from sin and the devil? Is it ever a good excuse to just kind of lighten it up and don't, don't be so out there, don't be so confrontational about sin and evil in this world? It appears that this is the very thing that the church in America... In many parts of the world, it appears that the very, this very thing—this is the very thing—the church has been doing for many years. During the Enlightenment, I'm sure those educated men, those knowledgeable men, those teachers did not intend to build any idols. But man's reason and the growth of scientific understanding tend to do that they may not have been golden idols or silver idols or wooden idols but they became idols of the heart and mind idols for life man's reason in modern science began to place replace faith in christ and faith in the word charles darwin came out with the origin of the species And And then then the churches churches and the seminaries began thinking that maybe maybe the Bible Bible can't teach us everything we need to know. Maybe the Bible has even made mistakes. It's so old, there could be many changes. Maybe science has some answers too. Do you know how bad it's become? That's been three and 400 years ago. Do you know how bad it's become since then? Progressively, little by little, each generation has got worse. And today Well, maybe God didn't really make man in his own image. Maybe we all just evolved. So we really can't say who or what we are anymore. Churches and denominations are adorning are ordaining not just homosexuals, but those who have transgendered and those who are transgendering because after all it's good to be all inclusive great is Artemis of the Ephesians it's not just in apostate unfaithful denominations as we close I need to challenge you what is your idol? Where is your idol? Where is your idol? Galatians 5 19 through 21. The works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, in all. Things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is your idol money? Are you greedy? 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, the Bible says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That word that Paul used for love of money is just one word, literally means avarice or greed. You have greed for money, it's a trap, it's an idol. Forsake it, put it away, burn it down. You love to gossip? James 3 7. Every kind of beast and bird or of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is a serious warning about what we do with the words we say. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same Malcolm, blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be. Where is your idol? On Sunday morning, you praise, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And on Monday morning, you're singing, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Because you've reverted. The idol of convenience is your idol pornography. your heart and mind strife, struggling with lust its something you need to destroy you need to get rid of you need to put aside you need to seek God and follow him 1 John 4 2 by this you know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God because this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already that's why we need to recognize this as spiritual warfare but the following verse 1 John 4 2 little children you are from God and have overcome them For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Stop kneeling to the one who is in the world. Stop kneeling to the Antichrist. Burn down his idols. Do not even tolerate his high places. And bend your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and praise Him with your life. Is it ever right to burn books? Indeed, it is always right to destroy the idols of your heart and the idols of your life. This is a proper response, it will have a powerful impact. But expect to see pushback from the enemy, especially when you do it right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word and for your time that you have to give us in your word and its teaching and its truth. We ask, Father, that you might help us to believe and trust you this coming week. Challenge our hearts and our lives as we prepare for the table next Sunday. Use us always for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.